oh, I don't know, maybe a 14 or 15-year-old, and I began doing what, what mo a lot of American boys do for their first job. I mowed, mowed her yard. Um, and the Lord used that relationship of being an employee with an employer to teach me a lot of things. Now, um, she was there, this family. They lived um, a few streets down from us, where we had used to, we used to live. And I'd ride my bike, and I would go to their house and go to their yard. And they had a little shed in the back of the yard where the mower was. And I would open up that shed, and there would be the mower. And more times than not, there was a little note that was um, taped to the mower, telling me um, what I had done wrong last week. <laughs> And what I needed to do better, and what new thing I might need to do this week, and and it taught me about what it meant to be an employee working for someone, and having someone watch my work and be responsible to them. And I, I can tell you, I wasn't joyful when I saw those notes. It even stirs a little bit of something up in me right now as I think about it. But the Lord used it um, to teach me what it's like to to work for somebody and how to rightly respond. I, I didn't always rightly respond, but I was, a, I was a believer back then, and I know the Lord was doing a work in me. But there is a relationship throughout life that most of us are deal with, of either an employee or employer, or even if we're an employee, we have other people over us. And it's one of those building blocks in life. Um, we have building blocks of family, of of parents and kids, and Paul is addressing all of these things, and then he addresses these work relationships within the context of the church during that time. So here in this text, we see that Paul, he does, he talks about these household employments that were common for the people that were gathered in that church, in that culture and the circumstance, even though it's very different from us and from our day, there is a lot of implications and applications for us in our life, in our walk right now. And we can apply them to our life. We're reminded that we're, we're new in Christ, that in Ephesians, Paul's been telling Christ, we are new, that we have been given new life in him and sin. We're made alive. We're part of a new community in Jesus, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have a new identity in our life that impacts all of our relationships. And that of, we're talking about husband, wife, and parent, and um, child from last week, and even those within work relationships. And here Paul addresses the common relationship of work that existed in that day. Even one in three people would have been a bondservant or a servant or slave in the Roman Empire at that time. So it was really a common thing. And Paul addresses that. And he addresses how the gospel impacts that. As they have this new life and impacts everyone in the church, both bondservant and master in the church were impacted by that. And we hear, we hear that being addressed here. And we remember that they all gathered together, and Paul talks to them that they're one body, one people in Jesus Christ. And they're even called, as we see earlier in um, chapter 5, verse 21, he says to them, submit one to another out of reverence to Christ. To everyone. And they're gathering, worshiping people of all classes, gathering together. He's saying to them, submit one to another. Now, I think before you go very far, in this, there's a lot of questions. What's going on here? Um, I have things to address as we think about this idea of bondservant, or maybe translations to slave and master, and how the Bible is dealing with this in this, in this, and throughout the scriptures. So I think it's important to talk about this. So 
the master and, and that bond-servant relationship, it was built into the culture of that day. It was the reality, again, of many of the people in the church and the institution of slavery in, the Ro- in Rome. Now, it wasn't the same as we think of in North America. And there were servants. Most, a lot of servants could work to earn money and even pay for their freedom. So there's a difference. But at the same time, according to Roman law, that the owner had limitless power over his bondservants and slaves. So there was definitely, if you were in that category, you were not free. Um, it was not a good place to be in. And Paul, we should, should note Paul, he doesn't, he's not condoning, he's not affirming the institution and the practice of slavery here, but he's addressing brothers and sisters in Christ who are in the midst of being in the situation of a bondservant. And he's teaching them, even of those who are bondservants, how to live, how to live in light of it, and even masters, how to live in light of it. And we see, even in the context as we walk through this, that it begins to dismantle that relationship and dismantle that um, institution of slavery as they submit one to another and they recognize that their Lord is the same. They treat one another as if they're treating Christ. We're going to see that as we walk through these things. Uh, One other note, too, uh, that I found helpful so, and we're using the ESV, the English Standard Version, and if you go in the preface of that, it talks about how they translate different words and how they decide how to use this word or that word, because in different languages, as you translate, you always are making decisions on how to translate a word. Sometimes one word might have several different meanings in that language, or maybe it has different meanings in ours, so we've got to determine these things. And this is um, some of the notes in the preface. So I know this is super boring to read from a preface, but that's what I'm going to do. So just, again, just to read a few things. Uh, well, it talks about how both in the Hebrew and the Greek, you had the Hebrew uh, word ebed, which means slave, and then doulos, which we hear here, sometimes it's translated bondservant, sometimes servant, sometimes slave with, throughout the New Testament. And depending on the context, they translate differently. These are a few of the notes. It said, further, the word slave currently carries association with the often brutal and dehumanizing institution of slavery, particularly in the 19th century America. For this reason, the ESV translation of the word abed or doulos has been undertaken in particular attention to their meaning in each specific context. And then it talks about the New Testament. How did they... Why does it say bondservant here? So in the New Testament times, doulos is often best described as bondservant. That is, someone in the Roman Empire officially bound under contract to serve his master for seven years, except for those in Caesar's household in Rome who were contracted for 14 years. So I wouldn't have wanted to have been in Caesar's household for sure. But and when, they, um, when their contract expired, that person would be, given, would be freed and given his wages that have been saved by the master and officially declared a freedman. So in the ESV, thus seeks to express the most fitting nuance of meaning in each context. So where absolute, absolute ownership by master is envisaged, as in Romans 6, slave is used. Where a more limited form of servitude is in view, bondy, or bondservant is used. And then where the context indicates a wide range of freedom, servant is preferred. So we have all these things going on in this text. We have these bondservants, most likely those who would, he would serve for a certain amount of time and then be freed. So Paul here, the question is, well, is he affirming then this institution? I think the answer is no. 
but he is currently he's speaking into current realities of how to live in light of the moment in which he's speaking and addressing them in the institution of slavery. And we can see that Paul already, he's addressed the church, and he said, you are one body. You are one people. You are united in Christ. You all have the same messenger, Jesus Christ, and the same gospel, and you're one in that. So these things are kind of dismantling slavery. Let me read a few of the verses from Ephesians, but also other parts where Paul speaks to this. I think it's important to give context and kind of build these things. This is Ephesians 2 uh, that we've read before. And here he's talking about how in the church you have Jews and Greeks. You have non-Jews and you have Jews, but they're all one in Christ. This is for he himself, Jesus, is our peace. This is in Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. Who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So there's this unity that happens. Oops, this isn't normal here. Let me move this before I knock it over. Um, Sorry, Nathan, you have to move it back. Um, I'm going to hurt myself, so no, I'm just joking. So, and then Ephesians 2.19 says, So then you are, you are no longer strangers and aliens, uh, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So he's talking about the Gentiles. Hey, hey you are, you're, we're all the same. We're saints. Or Paul in Galatians 3.28 says, There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. There's this oneness in Christ. You're dismantling some of these realities of their day. 1 Corinthians 7, 21 through 23 is another good chunk that kind of just tells us about what Paul is speaking as he speaks into the current reality. He says, we were you a bondservant when called. So he writes to them and says, if you were a bondservant when you became a believer... He says, do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of that opportunity. For he who has called, was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. So he's saying, ultimately, you are free in Christ. That is your reality. This is likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. So all those who are called, we are now Christ. He's bought us, we're his, and he is this good master. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Don't want to get ahead of myself. So then he says, you were bought with the price. Do not become a bondservant of men. So even that call to say, hey, you are Christ. Don't put yourself where you're owned by another. First uh, Timothy 1.10, he condemns, uh, Paul condemns a practice of, of those who are enslavers, who go and enslave people and condemns that. And then in Philemon, also Philemon is a whole book kind of about this. So Onesimus, who is this runaway slave, who runs away from his, his master, he finds Paul by God's sovereign um, work. He finds Paul. Paul shares the gospel. He becomes a believer. And then Paul goes in. He sends him back to Philemon. Uh, but Paul says to him, receive him not as a bondservant, but as a beloved brother. Um, so bro- beloved brother in the Lord. So here, although Paul doesn't directly address or tear down the institution, he clearly, there are all of these truths that we see, and we're going to see some more as we even walk through this passage and the instruction that's given. 
But for us, as we think about this, in light of our new life in Jesus, what is here for us? It does teach us, is Jesus as our Lord, how are we to live? How are we to live in our workplace and with others? How are we to live? So we see that. So let's begin. I know, really long intro, um, but that, that's kind of like point one. You can say that's point one, okay? So don't worry. Um, I only have ten more to go. No. No, so... I, Two, I summoned it up in two, so don't worry. So the first one is we have instructions to, bond, to, to bond servants. Um, you can say for us, there is an instruction for us as those who work under authority. Um, how does that play out? So verse 5 through 8, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. So, first, the, the instruction is to obey those earthly masters. The word masters, it's the same word, it's actually the exact same word as Lord see Lord here, our master here, it's, a, it's the same word, but to distinguish it, we translate it differently because we have different words for these things. So, um, so we see that they're to, to obey, obey their master. And, it, and um, in it, there's this call to obey those who are in authority over us in our workplace. I think that's a general principle we have. We're put in, in authority. But at the same time, this obedience, it, isn't a, it is limited. It isn't unlimited obedience. There is a limit to it. If we're called to do something illegal or immoral, of course, we're not called to obedience in those things. We can refuse these things. It may mean even times that we're called to leave a job because of what we're called to do. And even someone just recently had told me that they, they had left a job in a position because they were asked to do unethical things. They're like, we can't do it. So we're called, of course, to obedience, but not when it calls us to to the things that are in disobedience to God. Think of in the Bible, example of midwives um, in Egypt, that they were told when, as the Hebrew women, if they, if they give their babies, that you need to, to dispose of those babies. And they were like, no way. We can't do that. So obedience also, it doesn't include compromise of the gospel or witness. When we are in East Asia, um, we, were, we were not to, to be doing all that we were doing as we shared, right? In the university that I taught, I would share about Jesus throughout different times of the year. And um, do, I'd use verses in scripture to teach English. And I knew that's what I was called to do. And here in America, I know there's a, we have to be careful. We have to be careful how they are a gospel light in the public school. But, but there's different ways that, that they wrestle through that and are able to, to bring light into the classroom, um, and we all, we're going to navigate those things differently. And I know that there's some of these things that we'll navigate differently of how the best way to go about that is. So there's obedience, but not ultimate. And obedience is in light of, as we obey, the, so obedience is in light of the one who is truly their Lord, truly their master, who is, is Christ Jesus. And we see that several places in this. The first is in verse 5. He we call for obedience as you would Christ. Uh, serve them as you would serve Christ. Verse 6. But as a bondservant of Christ. Not to be a people pleaser. We'll get into that. As a bondservant of Christ. Their master ultimately is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 7. 
with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. So who do we ultimately serve when we are in a place of employment? What's the Lord God? Um, it's not so much about other people, but that we might be obedient to him. And as followers of Jesus and those who are beloved and chosen of a God, we indeed, we, we have a new Lord, a true Lord, a true master, Jesus Christ. And who is that, that master? Uh, what is he like? Well, Jesus, throughout Ephesians, there's several times where he says that it's Jesus who gave himself up for us. He's a master who has given himself up for us. He has died for us in our place. He's left all the glories of heaven and became man for us, that he might die on the cross, that he might serve and demonstrate what it means to serve and demonstrate what it truly means to lead as well. Dying and loving. So Jesus is the one who who sets the example, even for us, the one who is our true master, uh, the one who gave himself for us. In 1 Peter we studied that a while ago now, and there's a similar passage where it addresses this relationship of master and servant, and it addresses where there's injustice being done in that relationship, and, and, and Peter gives instruction. He says, look into the example of Jesus Christ. So I want to read a few of those verses. This is in 1 Peter 2, 21 and following. For, this, for to this you have been called. Because Jesus also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, no, but continued entrusting himself to him who justly judges. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we've been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So we have this ultimate example of Jesus Christ who in a, in a situation where injustice was poured upon him, he trusted, entrusted himself to the one who is just, to God the Father who would right all wrongs, and he died in our place so that we could be forgiven and healed. This is our Master and our Lord who died for us, for our salvation. And it's hard to even get just this picture um, out of my mind of Christ taking that towel of a bondservant and washing the disciples' feet, taking a towel and a basin and washing their feet. This is who our Lord and our Master is willing to do those things. And I think kind of the picture for us, even of the washing of the feet, uh, say we have people invite people into our home and we're getting ready for that, that day and Jesus comes to help us wash some dishes and get ready. Maybe you made a big meal and he helps you with those, those dishes and then he's like, man, does your bathroom need to clean? And I'll go clean that bathroom. And we've been like, no! But we have a, we have a, a Lord, uh, a master who's willing to, to serve in such a way um, that he humbly serves us um, today. And lovingly comes to us. First Corinthians seven twenty three says, "You are bought again. You are bought with a price. Do not become a bond servant of men. We've been bought by Christ. Do you know Jesus? Do you know your need for Jesus even this morning? And when we obey our earthly authorities and bosses, we do so ultimately to the Lord God, Jesus." 
and this is always should be kind of on our heart and our mind that we serve in such a way that we point people to Jesus. And people ask, well, why do you act this way? Because I serve Jesus, King Jesus, who loved me and gave his life for me. And then Paul, in these verses, he tells us even what our posture should be to those who are in authority over us, especially in, in the workplace. What is our posture? And he begins and he, he says... Um, to obey earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as with Christ. So with, first, with, with fear and trembling, with reverence, with intense reverence as to Christ. And I believe here he's speaking not a fear and a trembling of the master, but a fear of the earthly master, but a fear and trembling of our Lord God. And this fear and trembling, it's not that of terror. It's not that of being afraid of God and having a terror of God but that of having a reverent love and fear for Him who is holy and just and good and our Father. Again, the picture, it's not my own picture and idea, but a book that I've been reading about or listening to about the fear of God and talking about how that fear of God isn't, isn't a falling on our knees away from God in terror, but a falling on our knees toward God in worship. And we have reverence to our Lord God and to Christ. And that impacts the way we live and the way we walk. There's a reverence there and we should walk in such a way. And we do a reverence again and it's not because there's a worthiness of your boss, um, that he's just, he or she's just really uh, wonderful and likable, so that's my standard for me working well. No, no, it's a reverence unto the Lord God. Um, all life is worship. And then also, it says, with a sincerity of heart. So, it can't be just an outward obedience and getting stuff done. It's a sincerity of heart. It's an inward attitude. A genuinely working hard with diligence from our heart to the Lord God. Um, ultimately to Christ. We work and we're diligent um, with a sincerity of heart. Not just outward going through the motions even. And then continuing in verse 6, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. So we don't do it just to earn the favor of people, just so people will be like, wow, look at him, look at her, man, you're smart, or whatever, I don't know. Um, but it's not just working to, to make a good name for ourselves. Um, it's also not ultimately so that we can have advancement and raise, not that there's wrong, anything wrong with advancement and raises, um, we all like those, but... The point is that we're not making two, not to make heaven here on earth as well. That's not our end goal. Our end goal is to please the Lord. And there's actually real freedom here when we're able to, to not do things to win the favor and the approval of people. Um, there's freedom that we find in it. We can, we can relax. We're not always having to impress people. We're, we don't have to, to show them how good we are because we can know that we are fully loved and beloved called and chosen, adopted children, where God has poured out lavishly His grace upon us. Again, all those things that we've seen in, in Ephesians so far, these truths that we've seen, that Paul has told about who we are. So we don't have to impress anymore. We can also be reminded that Jesus, because of our sin, He had to die for us. He's already declared us guilty, but forgiven um, that we are guilty in the sense that we are sinners, but we are forgiven in Him, in Christ. So, so we're a lot of times far worse than our boss even thinks we are, right? We need Jesus. Our strength, our life, and identity is in Him 
and people-pleasing, it also, it never ends. There's never a point where you're like, I think I've pleased enough people. I can kind of relax from that. No, well, that's our goal. There's always more people. Uh, this is a quote from um, a sermon. It's also in a little booklet by Tim Keller where he kind of talks about some of these things. And he quotes an old quote. Maybe you've heard this before. Uh, it's from Madonna from the magazine In Vogue. And this is what she said um, years ago. She said, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special person, uh, uh, being a special human being, but then I feel I am still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. Just uh, that honesty. And recognizing, I'm always trying to prove I am somebody, and I do that, but then there's always a next level. It just never ends, but we can can put that aside and just serve the Lord God because of who He is and what He is, who He's called us to be, and instilled value on us and not have to please others. There's freedom in that. And then another posture we see is that we do doing this from the will of God. Um, Doing the will, I'm sorry, doing the will of God from the heart, doing the will of God from the heart. So this is a seeking to follow God's will, His word, and His calling. We think of earlier in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he talked about how we are God's workmanship. We are His masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that He has prepared in advance for us to do. So He's called us, He's created us, and He's given us things that He's preparing for us to do, and we're called to walk in them, do the will of of our God from the heart. Again, it's not just an outward motion, but from the heart. And then verse 7. See, render service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So we work serving wholeheartedly with good attitude, with a will um, to our God, as good will to our God. We're to be a fragrance of Christ in our workplace. Um, Again, all of our life and our work is worship to our God. Uh, can you imagine just the attitude of Christ, even as he washed those disciples' feet? It wasn't like, oh, oh I, I can't, I, man, I, I don't want to do Peter's, man, those, those feet, man, or whatever. But he, he had a right, just the attitude you think of what Christ had as he served people or as he embraced the leper. Um, this is the attitude that we are called to. And then verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the bondservant or free. So we're to be encouraged, I believe, knowing that the Lord sees our, our diligent work, our sincere heart and our reverence for him. And there's reward. There's nothing that escapes him. So even if our employer never sees our employer never notices, our employer never comments, never gives praise, never gives a raise, never gives a bonus, we can be sure that nothing escapes the view of our one true master, Jesus Christ. Our work's not in vain when we work as pleasing to the Lord. And there's also good reward that we will receive back from Him in eternity. Of Paul earlier in Ephesians, he's talked about how we have this guaranteed inheritance of those, as those who are children of God. We have an inheritance to come in Him that's assured to us. Or Ephesians 2, he speaks about 
the coming ages, that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. There's immeasurable riches of kindness to be poured out upon us throughout eternity in Christ. We can be encouraged and comforted. We don't have to to strive to be comfortable now, to be rewarded now, to be acknowledged now by the world but we can be secure in Christ and who He is. And we're also reminded that Jesus Jesus is our life. He is our life. It doesn't matter where we finish in the race, in a race. Some of our boys have been in track, and I just think about that, them racing. It doesn't matter when they finish, where they finish. Their identity is secure in the Lord, and, and, and as our kiddos, too. It doesn't matter. Paul in Colossians 3, he says this, If then... Uh, you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on, on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Christ, Jesus, is our life. Not our work, not for me, not, not ministry. That's not my life. Jesus is my life. And then, finally, we see a a verse that addresses those masters. And this is an important, significant verse. It says, masters, do the same to them. So how, how are those who are in authority, how are they to treat bosses, employers? How are they to treat others? And it says, masters, do the same to them. What's doing the same to them? Well, first, it's as to the Lord, as to Jesus Christ. They treat their bondservants the same way that they would treat Christ himself. That's going to impact the way that you are oversight, have oversight over people when you see them as serving Christ, as you serve them. They're to live as those who themselves are bondservants to Christ, that Christ died and their life is now hidden with Christ. They're called to die to self. And also, in the same way, what also is all of these different things we've said about how the, the bondservant is to, to react to the master. He should treat them with a sincere heart. Not pleasing man, but God. Doing the will of God from their heart. Rendering their oversight with good will as to the Lord and not to man. Taking on the attitude of Christ. All of these things should measure the way that they treat their bondservants. So this would have been just revolutionary to say, hey, your bondservants, treat them as you, if you treat Christ. Treat them with sincerity of heart. Not to please man, but to please God. And you see how this would dismantle that relationship in the way that it was set up in the culture and the context of that day. And then it says, stop, stop threatening. So threatening, you need to be, that opposite would be encouraging. Don't threaten and encourage. Don't be harsh and controlling and intimidating by fear. And the same thing as employers. We're not called to, to treat and act in that way to, to threaten. Um, they're to treat their bondservants knowing that they are followers, their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. They're one. The Lord also, we have a Lord who, who himself is not partial nor are we to be those who are partial as the way that we treat one another. And we think about Jesus. He is not, not partial to pour out his grace only 
on the influential or, or only on the poor, but pours out his grace on all people. And Jesus himself, we know that he was born not to the rich and the influential, but to Mary and Joseph. He wasn't born into a family of nobility, but a family of, of poor working class. He was not born in a castle, but he was born in the living quarters of livestock. Jesus, he went to the poor, to the sick, to the lowly, to the bondservant, to the sinner. And we see here that, that we are all equal and of great value in the eyes of our God. And they have the same footing, the same standing before God. I think of James, when we went through James, James addresses the church and told them that you should be impartial. If a rich person comes into your gathering or a poor person, you don't put the rich person in front and the poor in the back. You seat them the same. And he says, and he ends that little instruction there in James, in chapter 2, verse 8, he says, if you, really, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So even the call of the master, love of the, the employer, an employee, love the bondservant as yourself. And may we be even a people who are that impartial, that everyone who comes is welcomed and loved. And may you be, if you're an employer that everyone that works under you that you treat them with the same love and kindness as you would that if Christ were to come into your midst of your workplace so we have a lot of things that are we're taught here about how to live and what our life is to look like and impacted even even in our workplace we talked about the marriage and that relationship and and between parents and kids and here in the workplace when we're new in Christ, it impacts every relationship. How are we going to respond? How are we going to treat one another? May we be guided and directed in that. And, and it might be uh, this week you go in and you open that proverbial shed and on that proverbial mower there's that tag on there that says, you didn't do this right. How are you going to respond and how are you going to work this week? May you work as into Christ and be free to do so. No longer having to work for the pleasure and approval of another, but only to Christ Jesus and serving that others might ask, why do you work like that? Well, let me tell you. Uh, I really work for Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for your word. Sometimes it is difficult and hard and we have questions and we want to wrestle through those and even the things in this text that, that are challenging and just thinking about these relationships. But Lord, we thank you also for the true um, instruction we have for life. We thank you for the equality of all people that we see in your word that dismantles even um, broken things in our culture. And I, we pray that we would be those who go out either this week as some of us as employers, some as employees, and, and some that, that, that we work in different ways and serve in different ways within our home and with others. And Lord, help us to recognize that it's not for the pleasure of, of pleasing others, but we do it uh, out of obedience uh, because of our love for you and the love that you've poured out upon us through Christ. And may we serve Jesus Christ this week remembering that he is the one who loves us and and died for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I asked um, Jonathan if he would just lead our time of Lord's Supper. So, So Deacon Jonathan's coming up.